Good morning. This is the November 7th episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we're on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone who wants to join us. My name is John, and on today's episode, we're talking about which match stole the show at AEW Full Gear 2020. As AEW wrapped up their second year of pay-per-views, the wrestling landscape was a weird place. Hell, the country and the world at large was in a pretty weird place. COVID-19 had shut much of the country down in late February, early March of 2020, and all of sports, except wrestling. Well, wrestling is an essential service, we all know that. And the availability of an open-air venue in the governmental Wild West that was the state of Florida allowed our heroes to continue to entertain us. In late August, Daly's Place in Jacksonville even started letting some fans sparsely fill the building, and by November, AEW was able to invite a thousand of their closest friends and fans to watch the Full Gear pay-per-view. As usual, it was a stacked card, with all of the company's titles on the line, as well as a title from another promotion being defended on the pre-show. Spoiler alert, the big matches that you were really excited about on this card all delivered, with four matches earning four and a quarter stars, or better, from the guru of grading systems, if you're into that kind of thing. But what match stole the show at Full Gear 2020? The pre-show match saw Serena Deeb successfully defend the NWA Women's World Championship against Allison Kay with a submission victory. The main card kicked off with former partners and tag team champions Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page facing each other in an eliminator match for a future shot at the AEW World Championship. With a great backstory extending beyond their time as tag champs to Hangman's earlier shot at the world title and even further back to their time together in Japan, they kept the crowd on their feet for more than 16 minutes before the one-winged angel sent Omega to a world title shot. It earned four and a quarter stars. Orange Cassidy bested John Silver and Hikaru Shida retained the AEW Women's Championship against Nyla Rose. Those two matches bookended another four and a quarter star match where Darby Allen defeated Cody Rhodes to become only the third man to hold the TNT Championship. MJF would win his way into a very exclusive group by beating Chris Jericho with some trickeration and a roll up on the Demo God for the one, two, three. He earned invitations for himself and Wardlow into Jericho's inner circle. While not a technical masterpiece, it was another well-told story by AEW. Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara fought in the palate cleanser of the night. They took their feud to the Hardy compound for an elite deletion match. What did that mean? No one really cared. It gave Matt a chance to use fireworks as a weapon and for some of the many extra participants to get wet in the lake of reincarnation. Matt Hardy got the victory, and while there were some nasty spots, it appeared that no one got horribly concussed this time around, so bonus. The main event was an I Quit match between AEW champion John Moxley and his best frenemy, Eddie Kingston. It was yet another four and a quarter star crowd pleaser, where things most definitely got ugly between the two. The champ finally got Eddie to beg off, when after nearly 20 minutes of pain and suffering for both men, Mox sunk in a bulldog choke with the assistance of barbed wire wrapped around his own damn arm. But it was the match nestled just past the middle of the card that undoubtedly stole the show. Remember how I referred to the Hardy-Guevara match as a palate cleanser? Well, it was this tag title match that caused the need for palates to be cleansed. 
because no one in their right mind would want to take the ring and try to follow what took place between the champs FTR and the Young Bucks. How good was this match? Well, if you were asked to name some of the greatest matches of all time, where would you go with no time for research? Right off the top of your head. Flair and Steamboat in 89 fighting over the NWA title? There were more than a couple of those, and they were all stellar. Sean and Razor from WrestleMania 10? Brett and Owen from SummerSlam 94 inside the old blue cage? Brett and Stone Cold in the Blood from a Stone match from WrestleMania 13? Gargano and Andrade from TakeOver Philly in 2018? Walter and Dragunov's brutal first go-around from October of 2020? All great choices. All earned 5-star ratings. But this one was just a little bit better, at least according to one man's scale. Even though this match didn't happen all that long ago, let me help put you in the headspace of that period of time. AEW officially became a company in January of 2019. Their big press conference took place in February, and they put on their first pay-per-view as a company on May 25th. By early October 2019, the company made their TV debut, and by the end of the month, crowned their first tag champs, SoCal Uncensored. They would hold the titles for nearly three months before losing them to Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page in late January 2020. About halfway through Page and Omega's 220-plus day reign, AEW signed big-time free agents FTR in late May of 2020. And by early September, FTR would take those titles and become the third-ever tag team champions. But outside of money, this company was basically started by a small group of performers, and that group included the Young Bucks. The Bucks had long been considered among the best tag teams on the planet, but since the start of AEW, they kept falling just short of tag gold. Their road to this title shot was fraught with frustration, and the Bucks had turned into real assholes along the way. Not that I minded much. They superkicked Tony Schiavone on more than one occasion, and that alone made me an instant fan. But FTR weren't taking any crap from the Bucks, unlike most of the rest of the roster. A recent FTR attack on Matt Jackson's leg would mean that Matt went into this match at less than 100%, and a bad wheel on a high flyer is no small matter. Add to that the fact that the Bucks made a self-imposed stipulation that if they failed in this shot at the tag titles, they would never challenge for them again. Under normal circumstances, you might think that, that made the Bucks' chances almost a lock. They're executive vice presidents of the company, and tag team wrestling is their lives. Of course they're going to win. But keep in mind, another executive vice president in that same company said he would never fight for the world title if he came up short. And then he came up short, and he kept his word. Was this going to be a thing in AEW? I guess we would find out. FTR was led to the ring that night by Tully Blanchard although Tully would have to head backstage before the opening bell because he was banned from ringside for the actual match due to his participation in the attack by FTR that led up to the pay-per-view. Dax and Cash were decked out in custom warm-up pants and jackets adorned with the phrase Grand Slam across the back shoulders and GTTOAT at the waistline, signifying their self-proclaimed status as the greatest tag team of all time. Four stars between the wording would represent their resume as the first ever WWE Triple Crown champs having held the Raw, SmackDown, and NXT tag titles, as well as their current status as AEW champions. FTR were dressed in green and white, while the Bucks were in black, highlighted with purple and yellow. 
the Bucks were representing their California roots with the Lakers colors. Their foes played the part of their greatest rivals, the Boston Celtics. Sure, FTR is from North Carolina, not Boston, but clearly this was a matchup of opposites and huge rivals. East Coast versus West Coast, a primarily old school grounded style, versus the Spot Monkeys, who had been killing the business for over a decade, and two teams that had taken shots at each other on social media long before it ever seemed possible that they would meet in the ring. The match starts with FTR controlling the pace with their grinding style and picking Matt Jackson's ankle a couple of times for takedowns, but mostly just to get in his head. Around the five minute mark, Dax Harwood misses Matt Jackson with a haymaker while fighting on the floor and busts his hand open on the ring post, giving the Bucks a bloody target to work on. About 13 minutes in, they start playing the hits, and maybe this is why this match ranks so highly in my mind. It's an amazing example of modern tag team wrestling while paying more than a little homage to the history of several legends without turning the match into a farce. FTR starts with a powerplex attempt, but it's foiled by Matt Jackson getting his knees up. A minute or two later, Nick Jackson gets the hot tag and the match really never slows down again. FTR hit the heart attack on Nick and get a two count. Matt tags in and puts out an imaginary cigarette on Cash's back, Big Daddy Cool style but his injured leg won't allow him to complete the jackknife powerbomb. Cash gets Matt up in the electric chair, and Dax completes the Steinerizer with a top buckle diving bulldog that gets another two count. Moments later, the Bucks hit the Dudley death drop on Cash, then once he rolls to the floor, they deliver the Hardy's twist of fate swanton combo on Dax to get another near fall. Then, in a tribute to old rivals DIY and an unfortunate circumstance for Matt Jackson, FTR decides to have a meeting in the middle, resulting in Matt getting his shoulders up at two and three quarters. Then the Bucks sit deep into stereo sharpshooters, with Nick and Cash outside the ring and Matt and Dax inside. Matt's leg gives out, and that's the only thing basically that saved Dax. A BTE trigger on Dax makes Cash have to make a diving last second save. And just seconds later, FTR paid tribute to their coach, manager, and mentor with a mind breaker, straight out of the Brain Busters playbook. Dax locks an inverted figure four on Matt, and Nick breaks it up with a 450 splash. Cash delivers a nasty super kick to a nailing Matt, and with both their partners now on the floor, Cash hesitates a second or two before making the mistake of the night. He abandons the no flips, just fists mantra of FTR and attempts a slingshot 450 splash that finds the proverbial no water in the pool. And after the plethora of high impact potential finishers that dotted this nearly 30 minute match, Matt Jackson lands a super kick on Dash that gets the 1 2 3 and we have new AEW Tag Team Champions, the Young Bucks. The aforementioned grading system scored this one at five and a quarter stars. On a five star scale, that means this match was better than perfect. That's a distinction that's been awarded on an average of less than once per year in the 40 years of the history of this particular grading system. The crazy thing is, while this is my personal favorite match of the year for 2020, it's actually the Bucks' failed attempt to take the tag titles earlier in the year from Omega and Page that was voted PWI's match of the year and scored an astonishing six stars. I guess what I'm saying is, it was a hell of a year for the Bucks and tag team wrestling in general. 
and when the Bucks finally took home the gold in the company they helped create, it was on this day in wrestling history, November 7th, 2020. Well, that's our show for today. If you'd like to continue the conversation about Full Gear 2020, the Bucks, FTR, or tag team wrestling in general, I encourage you to join the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group. You can go to facebook.com groups slash wrestling news show or just search Daily Wrestling News Show. Either way, click to join and we'll let you in to talk about this or any other historical wrestling topic. And if we don't see you there, we'll see you right back here for another episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show.